My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. More and more on this podcast, I want to start telling the actual stories of everyday people in Haiti. The challenge is often that outside of a small minority, most only speak Creole, meaning that an interview style would leave a massive gap, telling only the story of the very educated people in Haiti. This is something worth remembering. History and our current view of really anything is largely shaped by those who tell a story. And this is not just Haiti. Famously, Winston Churchill said, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. But this concept is magnified for poor countries. Imagine this. Our view of Haiti is shaped by people with the means to speak English, or at the very least, French. Yet, only 10% of the Haitian population speaks French, much less speak English. Only 61% of Haitians are literate. By definition, any Haitian book is written by a Haitian who is literate, and usually someone who can speak French. This means that disproportionately, Americans hear from a small sliver of the population. This shapes our viewpoint of Haiti and what the solutions are. It would be like if you tried to understand America by only speaking to people who work in downtown New York City. Obviously, the views of literate people, people that can speak French or English, are very important and need to be expressed, and largely they are the economic force that will create change in Haiti. But they are not the only people that we should be listening to. Therefore, on this podcast, I'm going to endeavor to speak with employees at the clinic and various people in Haiti in Creole, and then tell a summary of their story here. Certainly, this brings our own biases into the discussion but I think this method will allow a more well-rounded picture of all Haitians, from the wealthy to the poor and anywhere in between. I think it's also just a good lesson for us as we try to understand people in any other culture, not just Haiti, in recognizing that there are always diverse viewpoints and that you cannot simply talk to one person and think that you understand a country. Today, I want to start with the story of Carmel. Now, Carmel is not an average Haitian, Far from it. She is one of the stock of Haitian leaders, and there are many in the country, who care deeply about the community and want to see it grow. Carmel was born in the city of Mirabale, north of Port-au-Prince in the Central Plateau, a vast mountainous inland area. Mirabale was a peaceful town. She was born to a single mother who was a commissant, or a small vendor. These are women who are found ubiquitously throughout Haiti, who buy and sell any goods to make enough profit to support their children. Carmel often tells us that her mother would get up early, early in the morning and start cooking in order to feed her before school. Then she would go to the market to buy and sell and try to be home in time to start dinner for her. Carmel and her mother moved around the country between Mirabale and Port-au-Prince, and wherever they were, her mother made sure she had enough money to put Carmel in school. A self-described good child, Carmel studied and eventually was able to attend nursing school. She belonged to the local Episcopal church and sang in the choir. Around this time, she had just ended her relationship with a young man in the police academy, whose brother happened to be a junior priest in the congregation. Now, the senior priest started talking with Carmel. What do you think about this other priest? Carmel said that she didn't know. She hadn't really thought about him at all. Not to mention, this was the brother of her old boyfriend. What would people think? She talked and talked with people until finally she was convinced. As she said, back in the day in the countryside, There was no real place to go out and get to know someone. You just had to make a decision. So she and the young priest decided to get married. He was 33 and ready to have a family. They got married in the church and set about starting a life. Two children quickly followed, and life was going well. 
They were enjoying their community. But then her husband, a strong, quiet man named Per Fritz Valdemar, or simply Per Val as we call him, received a call that would change her life. In Haiti, the Episcopal Church tells the priests where they are to be stationed. You may be able to request, but it is fully up to the bishop. And the bishop had decided that Perval would henceforth be transferred to an island off the coast of Haiti called Lagonave. Now, an island might sound exotic, but Lagonave was nothing like this. A mountainous island that could only be reached by sailboat, in the 80s, it was the backwater of backwaters of Haiti. No significant school, no opportunities. Perval and Carmel were devastated. They thought they were being punished by the bishop. At first, Carmel refused to go. Her life was in Mirabale. Although Mirabale was no paradise, it was a city, there was family, there was occasional electricity. On Lagonav, there was nothing. And so, Perval went alone. As Carmel would say, Perval is a strong man, determined and able to make a way. For six months, he stayed on the island, starting to pastor the local church. And Carmel stayed in Mirabale with the children. But as the months went on, she became lonely. She wanted to be with her husband, his quiet strength providing an anchor in her life. She and Perval are vastly different. In contrast to Perval's steady, taciturn nature, Carmel is vivacious, extroverted, and charismatic. Together, they were the perfect balance. And so, Carmel eventually decided that she would go, even if they still did not understand why this was happening to them. When Carmel arrived on Lagonav, she came to the ramshackle church and the little shack that would serve as their home. The tin roof had so many holes that they could see the stars at night. When she first laid eyes on what would become her new life, she wept bitterly for 20 minutes. And then, as is her nature, she set to work. As her children would be going to school on the island, she set about rehabbing the dilapidated village schoolhouse. When her daughter was diagnosed with a life-threatening heart condition, she worked with an organization that took sick children to the United States for complicated heart surgeries. While her daughter Natalie was the first on the island to undergo the program, she felt for others they would have the same needs. From then on, Carmel found child after child who needed surgery and facilitated the long process of a visa, homestay families, and aftercare for numerous island children. Perval and Carmel started to develop relationships with Americans who helped them to build the church and a staffed clinic. Aside from his primary church, Perval had parishes all throughout the island and would preach at multiple of them every Sunday. At first, he went on foot between villages and then horse, and finally by four-wheeler. All the while, Carmel's family was growing. She now had a set of twin boys to go along with her son and daughter. As her nuclear family grew, she also took in dozens of other children. My current driver was one of these, living with the Valdemar family as if it was his own from the age of 13 onward. After 14 years, the ministry was thriving. They were friends with everyone in their village. They had a bustling school, a clinic, and a beautiful church, complete with a guest home and parsonage but they felt a pull to move on. While they had always lived on the parsonage on the island, the land that they personally owned was in the city of Quadibouquet, back on the mainland. Over the years, whenever there was extra money, they would buy some concrete blocks or cement and use it to finish their house in Quadibouquet. By this point, after 14 years, the house was not yet finished, but it was habitable. On one visit to the mainland, Carmel went to visit the Episcopal Church in Quadibouquet. And she noticed that it was all older people. There were no children, no young people. And she thought, this should not be. She talked with the women in the church and found that the mothers had enough money to transport the children to church or to provide them food, but not for both. And in the past, they had always chosen to feed their children. So Carmel got to work. 
organized a collection to provide a lunch each week at the church, and children slowly started joining again. Whether due to this or due to something else, Carmel and Pierval finally heard the news. They were being transferred from Lagonave to Quadibouquet. When Carmel talks about their time on Lagonave, I often see her become emotional. It had felt like a punishment, like her life was ending, and yet it became a blessing. She saw a church grow, a clinic and school built, her family grow, and relationships flourish. They had taken what felt like a godforsaken land and found life. Quadibouquet was different from Lagonave. It is just across the river from the capital city of Port-au-Prince. They were able to live in their own home. They assumed that they would have a relatively healthy church. In Haiti, because there are not a sufficient number of trained Episcopal priests, most priests are in charge of many parishes. As Carmel and Pierval ventured out of the church in town to their parishes in the mountains, they found something that they did not expect so close to Port-au-Prince. As Carmel put it, she had never seen families so poor, even on Lagonave. They had their tombs in front of their homes. When she asked who was buried there, they answered that these were their children. She sat with Pierval and told him that the region did not just need evangelism, it desperately needed medical care. And so she organized screenings of children in the parishes for malnutrition. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, but there are very specific measurements that you take to determine if a child is suffering from starvation or acute malnutrition. And she found that the rate was shockingly high. She raised funds and started nutrition programs in all the parishes of her husband, Pierval, and she focused on health education. What she found, not surprisingly to her, was that the people of the villages did not understand the disease. When children started to swell from Kwashiorkor, they thought the child had a demon. But slowly, as Carmel started to heal these children, the people started to understand that this was a medical problem. Now, when I go to the mountains, I still see children with these disorders, but it is rare to see someone that believes it is a demon. Over the next 15 years, the scattered nutrition programs coalesced and a clinic was built in Quadibouquet to support them. Carmel took in several of the malnourished children to foster them as her own when the family was unable. The clinic slowly gained a gynecologist, pediatricians, generalists. Carmel developed community health workers and midwives in the mountains to help ensure the health of the villages. The clinic grew until today it boasts 58 staff, many hailing from those very same areas surrounding the mountain parishes. Carmel is a motherly figure. She has acted as our mother in Haiti. And people like Carmel are the ones that keep Haiti running. There are other ministries that have similar leaders. I do not believe a ministry in Haiti can succeed without a leader like this. Carmel cares deeply not just about individuals, but about communities. And she's a doer. I think her tears at seeing her new house in Lagonave are a testament to this. There was a moment of sadness, of grief, and this was followed quickly by a get-to-itness. Everywhere she has gone, she has built, she has mothered, and she has led. People like her are the hope of Haiti. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.